My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hi, this is Frank and Karen Strawhall, and we uh, are here to talk about how God has worked in our lives over the years, and uh, especially with some of the, the major difficulties and uh, uh, the trauma that has been evident in our lives. So when we were uh, first married, we had a rough first year, and we really came to Christ in the following July after we got married. And we sold everything and went out mission and went out mission to South Dakota and were given a little church with 50 people over 400 miles. And our second month there, I took Ben in for his third DPT shot and he reacted with a lot of seizures, was in the hospital for three and a half weeks and um, he couldn't sit up. He was 14 months old. He couldn't sit up, had trouble swallowing after uh, they said, we don't know what his prognosis is. And I was a new believer. I thought, hey, this is just something God can handle. And I didn't really, I knew it didn't come from God because God doesn't hurt babies. And it's not part of his plan to hurt someone. And he's always willing to heal and love. So I just figured I'd just keep doing what I'm doing and love Ben. I had him tag along to preschool when we were at Bible college later and um, it became evident that he wasn't getting healed. We tried a lot of different therapies. Um, he developed a seizure disorder. He never started speaking. Went through a ton of different therapies. By the time he was hit puberty, he had a lot of more seizures and which is more brain damage. We were really, uh, I always expected God to heal him. I did not want to be a poster child for a hurt kid. I wanted to be the poster child for the one that got healed and I had this moment where someone said you know your baby lived God answered your prayer you get to see him grow up maybe you have to change his diaper maybe you have to help him in ways you never expected but he did answer your prayers and I was reminded how much God had done and I just let go of doing therapies and trying to fix him and making him maybe feel that love was conditional on his response and just decided to love him for who he was and he's an amazing person for someone who's nonverbal how he picks up on things he'll sit next to someone who's sad and he'll just touch their leg and he'll smile at someone and it'll change their day and I saw that God can work even at a very broken person as Ben hit his 30s, he stopped sleeping at night. We got older. We tried a group home. It didn't work out, and we just prayed, and God sent us an amazing group home manager, and we opened our first group home in 2013 for Ben first and then two other individuals, 
And then in 2014, we opened our second home for four more individuals that are a little bit higher functioning. And we've just seen God work in these kids who can't remember where their phone is or how to tie their shoe. They can pray for you and you know you've been prayed for. And it's been awesome to me to see how God has worked in that situation. And another blessing is that uh, you can't run a state-run state home and talk about God because that's where our income comes from. But God brought us all clients who love God, so it's part of their plan that they have to go to Sunrise and go to church and we get to pray with them. And, and that was a real answer to prayer for us. Recently, uh, in the last couple of years, we, we ran into another huge trauma with our grandchild. We had a, a very serious injury happen to her when she was seven months old. She was shaken by her her birth father and it really caused uh, tremendous injuries. Uh, we, when we looked at it and she was in the hospital, my daughter was just in shock. She just looked at me and she said, this is worse than Ben, my brother. And I didn't really have an answer other than I said, we need to go to God with this. And uh, she, she just said, you know, I, I can't. I, I, you know, why did God allow this to happen? And I didn't have an exact answer for her, but I knew this wasn't God. This was Satan doing his dirty, nasty work. And uh, there was a saying that I, I uh, remembered from years ago, and that was, you know, you can't stop Satan from kicking you, but you can sure determine which direction you want to go in from that. And so we did. We wanted to go in the right direction, but she was struggling in the hospital and they were talking to us about it being um, uh, to the point that we should probably decide whether we want to donate her organs. There was a whole hospice team that was trying to work with us and we didn't want to talk to them about that, but she was struggling. And then uh, a great thing happened. It was a miracle. And I still attest that it was an angel that did this. She was, uh, they had trouble taking her trach out. She, they thought maybe she could be breathe independently and she couldn't. And so that, that's when the hospice team really, you know, came to, to arms about it. And then at one point, the nurse was in their room and I believe an angel just yanked the trach out. It was laying on her belly when the nurse turned around didn't know how it happened and Chloe breathed she lived she had that will to live and at that moment I just wanted to do anything I could for her to help her with her life to help her grow and just like with Ben give her the best life she could have and to praise God in any moment we can every small victory is a, is a major victory for us and so we struggle with seizures again, we struggle with, with the care, but we really go to God and ask Him to give us the strength to live day by day. Kind of puts uh, into perspective our problems, right? Our struggles, our tensions. 
You know, we're in this series called The Heart of Mercy, and after an overview week of all of our campuses and talking about what mercy looks like and having a heart of mercy to people, we got into it and we dug into it. And Pastor Kevin did a great job talking about forgiveness. Mercy forgives the fallen, that God has forgiven us of our sins, that there is nothing now that separates us from God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we are to be the ambassadors of forgiveness. We are to go out and receive people back that are hurting and broken. And that story that Jesus told that we looked at was of a forgiven servant refusing to forgive. And how incredulous could that be? To actually grip the throat of a person that owed you a few dollars when you had been forgiven a fortune. And that God wants us. He demands that we be forgiving people because that is then how we express Jesus into our community. When we are forgiving to others, the world sees that and understands a picture of God's forgiveness to us. But if we as followers of Jesus do not forgive, then the picture is distorted. Then we jumped into it and looked at another story that Jesus told about uh, showing compassion for people that were hurting, helping people that were hurting, the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, there are options for us. We can walk on by, uh, completely just disengage, or we can kind of get curious and then move on, or we can stop and do whatever it takes at whatever cost to actually serve someone. And service, in many ways and many times, is very costly. It requires a lot for us. But that is, again, the picture of what God did for us because we're the person lying on the road dying and Jesus is the good Samaritan that came to us. So if we can't look at another person that's hurting and broken and extend compassion to them, once again, we've forgotten how much mercy God has shown us. Last week, we ratcheted it up and we just said, what if, just what if the people we try to serve or the people that God has brought into our lives are difficult? And we all have those difficult people, right? We do. And how do we deal with difficult people? And so from a pastor's standpoint, as a pastoral counselor, I kind of shared these are the key verses that I use in counseling and ministry. These are the ideas, the principles that God has put embedded in his word for us to deal with the prickly people. You know, we're a bear with people and people are a bear, right? And here's how we're to do it. But again, we saw... That we can only do that when we recognize that's what God did for us. We were completely at odds with God. We were fighting God every chance we could. We had our backs against the wall. And we were fighting God because of our brokenness and sinfulness. And yet God was patient with us. He was kind with us. He forgave us all our sin. Well, today I want to take that to the nth degree. And and that is, what if the person we are going to be serving the person that God has brought into our lives, the people that God has called us to be merciful to, to be a heart of mercy person to, what if there are enemies? Now, enemy isn't a word we like to talk about unless I'm your enemy now because I'm wearing a duck shirt. I don't know about that. But, um, you know, I mean, really, truly, let's be honest. There are people that we're at odds with. Uh, even if we live at peace, as much as it depends with us, there will still be people that we live with, with frustration and tension, right? We, we, there, there might be people in your family. There might be people at work. Uh, there might be people in your neighborhood. If you have an HOA, you definitely have people in your neighborhood that are an enemy, right? Okay. Uh, you've got people all around you, your school, your environments, that are not going to like you. And as much as we might want to try to be likable people to everybody and have everybody love us, it's just not how life is, right? 
As we said before, hurt people hurt people, and sometimes those people really attack us, and they will go after us. And so what do we do as followers of Jesus Christ when people are our enemies? Now, you know, we could think about enemies in a big way, you know, maybe, you know, we could say like another country, or we could talk about another group of people ideologically, But in the day-to-day relationships, what do we do? How is it possible for us to be kind to enemies? Now, what we're going to see is, and I'm going to show you the last card right now. Here's the final card I'm going to play, is that once again, we can only do this when we recognize that this is exactly what God did for us. And that we can only do it because he gives us the power to do to others as he's done to us. And so as a pastor's heart, I want to once again just share some verses, some principles that have been really important in my years of counseling, my years of life, you know, getting along with other people, even when it's difficult. And the key word we want to think about is this idea of reconciliation. I want to think about reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is used a lot in the New Testament. Uh, We use it in, in life as well. But the idea is that people who were once enemies at odds with each other, fighting everybody, uh, the Hatfields and McCoys, okay, right? The, the, the people that uh, would just as soon shoot you as, you know, shake your hand. That is the reality of reconciliation, that now they're at peace. And now they sit on the porch together and sip tea or moonshine. I don't know, wherever you live, you know? You sit down there and you hang out and you now consider yourself a friend of the other person. But they were once an enemy, Now, I'm sure you have people like that. I'm sure. And again, like I said last week, if you don't, then you're that to somebody. Okay? You're that hard-nosed for someone, right? There is brokenness in our relationships as much as we try to live at peace. As followers of Jesus Christ, as much as we attempt to walk out all of the life of Christ, we have broken relationships, my friends. We, We sin. Other people sin. We fail. Other people fail. We don't get it right all the time. Other people don't get it right all the time. And sometimes that creates a rift between relationships that divides as the days and years go by. And we once used to walk together. We once used to go to church together. And now we won't even think about that person without pain. That's the reality of our lives at times. And sometimes we can't do anything about it. But God does give us some steps that we can do. And so let's think about that. So you've got a sermon notes page. I want to think about this. Um, God tells us to be peacemakers, okay? And in, in, in this whole idea of being a peacemaker, it's not just a peacekeeper. Peacekeeper is kind of a cop-out. You know, do whatever it takes to have peace. I'm talking about bridging the divide and working toward peace. Uh, in Matthew 5, 9, this is where Jesus says it. And we're going to talk about, you know, steps to be patient with difficult people or actually with enemies. So if you could go to the first uh, verse there. There we go. Um, I don't know what it takes to love enemies. I don't know what it takes to actually feel compassion toward an enemy. I think about a situation. Think about uh, a broken trust. Think about a violation. Think about a pain or a hurt that is so deep. Or think about someone that for maybe no reason that you even understand doesn't like you. They're just people like that, right? You can be the nicest person and people show up and they just don't like you and you don't know what to do about that. This is what Jesus says. He says, to those of us who are willing to listen, to those of us who are willing to have an open heart to this, open ears, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That is not 
something that comes easily or naturally to us. And in many situations, we, we don't even walk down that road. He says, if you're willing to listen, I, I want you to have this heart for people. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to those not just are mean, not just that cut you off on the road, but that hate you. Someone that is complete, if they could, they would cut you off, they would hurt you, they would cause damage into your life. I want you to have such love for people that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. It could be the political spectrum. It could be the religious spectrum. It could be the social spectrum. I don't know what it is. The other side that you just cannot get along with those people. And you don't even want to. Jesus says, if you, if you could just listen to this. This is what I want for you. I want you to love them. And not just, dear God, I love them. Amen. <laughs> I want you to do good. I want you to step toward them and to do good to those who hate you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this and it is this idea of, of, of keeping peace. Take a look at this. It says, God blesses those who work for peace. Uh, the idea of blessed, this is the Beatitudes again. We saw this last week. The idea is that there's a happiness that comes. There is a rush that comes into us when we do what God tells us to do. And when we take that step, like our team did at Beaumont, when, when, you know, young or old, they do things that are extremely uncomfortable, way out of their element. And they go in, even if it's just wretched smelling or it's just insurmountable. And how do you heal a whole whatever, a country, a nation, a, a state, uh, you know, an area? a town, a church, that you just go in and, and find one. And you go in and you step across that divide and you, you not just tolerate, you not just hang out with, but you love them. How do you bless people and work for peace? Because God blesses you when you work for peace. God changes your heart when you work for peace. That's what it means to be called a child of God. The world needs to see that. They need to see people who love to get along as much as it's difficult, who work for peace, who would rather take the blessing, the happiness that God gives because we take the right step than just take the comfortable step and be a peacekeeper and just basically stay at odds, but just, you know, be a part of a community where we tolerate. What does it mean to do this? God is a reconciler. God is a peacemaker. Uh, in, in the... In the, the thoughts about this, uh, James says it this way, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap, reap a harvest of righteousness. You think about this, um, we're not really farmers by any means. We have a farm and we have some trees and things like that, um, but it would be beyond audacious to say that we know what we're doing. Right, Mary Beth? Uh, we just do it <clears throat> and uh, get a lot of help. Uh, we have fruit trees. Uh, we have grapes, we have blueberries, we have, we have things, right? We just planted a peach tree, you know? Just planted some kiwis. If you know this, there, just take a look at like an Asian pear or apples or whatever. There are a lot of seeds in that, in just the one apple. But if you take a step toward planting a seed, you're going to get a harvest. So if you plant one seed in the ground and it grows up, you don't get a seed back, right? You get a whole tree. You get a whole crop of apples, which each have seeds in them. And so what we see here, if you're a peacemaker, if you're making peace, this is an active word here, not just keeping it, but making peace, you are going to plant seeds of peace, and in your life you will reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, you may not always reap a harvest of peace, but you will reap a harvest of righteousness, what God is going to do. I know some people that sow discord in their relationships and then pray for crop failure right? But that's not how it works. 
We get what we sow. And, and so a little question would be, are all your relationships broken? Do you constantly have struggles with people? When you look around, all the people that surround you at any given season of life, is there a harvest of discord and strife? Well, that's what you're sowing. But if you're sowing seeds of peace, you will get this harvest of blessing, this righteousness that comes back. Seven steps toward reconciliation. I want to share these. I want to talk about these. These are just, again, this is just for, as a pastor. If you were to come into my office and say, Pastor James, I got a problem with uh, so-and-so. I got a problem with my spouse. I got a problem with my kid. I got a problem with my neighbor. This is what I would tell you the Bible says. And then I would say, I will help you do it. All right, I'm really into like doing the word of God. So let's talk about this. Number one, and these are just those skills. Uh, you, we are to make the first move. We are to take the first step. We are the ones who are initiate. Not to wait for the other person to come to us. We're to pick up the phone. We're to do this. Now, uh, Jesus said this is even more important than having a great worship experience. In fact, in that same passage where he does the Beatitudes, he says this in Matthew chapter 5. So he says, if... You're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, so I'll recast it for us. If you're singing an awesome 10,000 reasons in church, okay, and you're singing Amazing Grace and you have this awesome worship experience and you're really just caught up into this and, and you're about ready to just go that next level, whether it's give an offering or give yourself as an offering, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. You've got a brokenness in a relationship. Stop singing. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be, here's the word, reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifices to God. In other words, the bottom line is this. It's more important to be reconciled than to be religious, my friends. And there's a whole lot of religiosity in the church today. There's a whole lot of looking good in the church today. There's a whole lot of outward appearance in the church today. The world sees that, and they call that hypocrisy because they know there's strife, and they know there's discord. They know there's brokenness. They know there's enemies Churches fight, churches struggle. Don't believe it, come to my office, I'll show you the big thick denomination of handbooks in the United States. Just in the United States, thousands. Because we divide and we divide and we divide and we split and we split. And we argue and we argue over the, for the most part, our non-essentials. For the most part. It's ridiculous how we can't get along. And the world looks at us and says, well, if that's your God, I'm not interested because I have the same struggles. And it's certainly not working for you. And Jesus says this, even tonight, if you're here and you're a part of this worship service, and you're gathering here in this worship community, whether it's the message or the music or the communion or, or the offering or any part of it, and God brings to your heart and to your mind, you know, nice sermon. Let's talk about reality now. There's a brokenness here. Um, don't fake it. Don't be religious. Go and reconcile. Go and restore as best as you can, the relationship. You and I must make the first step. In fact, that's what God did. Again, this is all relating back to what God did. Paul says this. The Apostle Paul writes the Romans and he says, in 580, he says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Again, this is how this ties into Jesus and to you and me and what we've received is that when we were at odds with God's, God, while we were still broken in our sinfulness, while we were still fighting God, we were his enemies. While we were still sinners, we were his enemies. The Bible 
Bible says that sin is uh, the action that we do. Uh, it's the attitude as well as our relationship uh, with God or, or lack thereof because we're all born into a sinful world, a broken world. We're all born in sin, uh, you know, and even the little babies in the room, I said, man, a lot of cute little babies. They're sinful, right? Mom's going, amen, amen, amen. Okay. We have this seed, this thread of sin that came from Adam and Eve and that first rebellion and it carries through this world. It's why everything's broken. It's why everything is broken. And that we are born into this world that way and then we flesh that out, we live that out and we are at odds with God. And it's only God who takes the step, the first move to reconcile with us by sending Christ. And now we are at peace with God. And so he says, that's how I want you to live. I want you to go out like that. I want you to do that because while you were still messy, as Pastor Kevin said, while you were still filthy and smelly, when you were still so wretched that a person couldn't stand what you've become, God looked at you and loved you. You're in his image, and however marred that is, and he looks at you and loves you in spite of the brokenness, in spite of the cycles of sin and the things that we do. God looked ahead and said, but I see, I see what my son has done for you, Jesus. And I take that, and I receive you as my own. While we were still enemies of God, God took the first step. We must take the first step. Romans 12, Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. This is real practical. If, if the person you're at odds with, at enmity with, is hungry, you take a step and feed them. So here's, this, this is as practical as it can be, my friends. Uh, this week, a coworker. This week, somebody at school. Somebody you're at, you know, at odds with, 24-hour fitness, whatever it might be, your neighborhood. Uh, if, if there's someone that's hungry, go feed them. So uh, just... You know, on your way, just stop and get them a, a coffee. Get them a sandwich. Get them something. Just, just say, hey, I, just, I was thinking about you. I was at the store and I want to get this to you. First of all, that will completely blow their mind. And it'll, it'll give them all day to wonder what in the world's up with you. All right? Because you probably haven't acted this way before because it's tough. He says, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. That in the original Greek is coffee. Latte. Okay, no. Just teasing. Um, do it. Just find a practical way to serve someone. I mean, you can, you can take a step of love toward them, right? That's what, that's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus has said. Now, in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Now, that's kind of weird. Jesus says this as well in the Gospels, but it was an ancient Egyptian uh, ritual, a rite, where you would put burning coals ahead on your head. You'd have this little you know, pan, and you'd put them on there, and it was a way to show incredible humility incredible, uh, humbling, defacing. Um, the, the Jews, when they would go into this time of despair, they would rip their clothes and they would throw dirt up in the air, you know? So, you know, that, that's, that's like, all, you know, your kids going, that's why my kids have ripped clothes and dirt. They're in remorse. No, they're just kids. Um, so they would do this, but the Egyptians would like, it would be a moment of shame of this is what I've done. Well, now you can add to that what, what Jesus is saying, not to shame them more, but that they reach a point where they realize their behavior is shameful and something will happen inside of them. You'll heap these coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil not by going to church, not by praying prayers, but by doing good. I've been doing a study uh, through the, just the life of Paul. You know, he, so many times he talks about doing good. Paul went around preaching the gospel, no question. He's a missionary, uh, just, you know, that, that, that amazing Paul. But he says again and again in a defense of himself that he, 
He did good to people. That he thought about people. That he cared for widows and orphans. He was a person actively doing good to people. And that's what Jesus commands us to do. We don't resolve conflict. And if we don't resolve conflicts, we can't restore and reconcile the relationship. So that's the first thing. I'm going to go rather quickly through some of the rest of these. Ask God for wisdom. This is a practical one. I always tell this to people when they come in the office. Say, pray, 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 pray. Ask God. As James, brother Jesus says, if you need wisdom, which we all do, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So even right now, you could be saying, okay, God, here's this person or people. You're telling me to do it. You did it for me. I'm going to discover something about what you did for me in my own life experientially when I do it for them. I just don't know how to do it. Obviously, I don't know how to do it, God. I don't, I don't even have the will to do it. But I need to do it. God, give me the wisdom. Give me the words. Give me the way, the tone to say it. Give me the, the right moment to say it. I will, I will walk into that. But I don't want to do it in my own effort. I want your wisdom, God. I want you to pave the way. I want your spirit to wrap around that situation. So when I show up and do what you've commanded me to do, it's about you. It's not about my wisdom. It's about yours. Number three, start with your own confession. There's a lot of this in in the New Testament. Um, But the basic idea is this. One-on-one relationships, right? There's no win when you start with accusation. It's just immediately the shields, the, you know, the defenses go up, right? Or if you start with a pile of complaints, or if you, you know, start with the way that you've been hurt and how they've done it. No, that, that, that's not going to go anywhere, right? Because the heart will be immediately closed. But what will open a heart, what will confuse a heart, actually, to be honest, is if you walk and you say, um, hey, I, I want to apologize. I want to confess that I've harbored a lot of ill feelings toward you. I've, I've thought some bad things. I've probably said some bad things. I just want you to know that. And I, I, I just, I'm, I'm extremely sorry for that. Um, it's not right. It's wrong behavior. It's wrong behavior for anybody, but I'm, I'm supposed to be following Jesus. And, and I, I know what Jesus told me to do, but I wasn't doing it. I was doing the opposite. Um, but I, I'm coming to you and just expressing that. That will, that will like blow all their circuits. Trust me. Okay. But if you come with the guns raised, it's not going to win. But if you lower, if you lower your defenses, something will go on. Now, now you sit and you think, what? And I always get this. This is great. Yeah, but they're like all at fault. I'm like, really? Yeah, they are. I go, okay. Usually I talk to men. And um, yeah, my wife is 100% at fault. I said, really? 100%? Man, she looks normal. She looks like an average woman. I don't think they're all 100% at fault, you know? God made him after us, so he, I think he improved on the product. But, um, you know, could there be? Well, yeah. Well, let's just think about that right now. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about her. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to talk about her. I want to talk about you. What, what, what part do you own? Even if it's 5%, even if it's 1%. Remember that soap commercial, 99.99% or 44 or whatever. Even if it's just a minuscule, start with that. Oftentimes, God will reveal that we're much more boneheaded about this than we really want to believe, but we own so much of it. Every relational conflict, every national conflict, every social conflict, marriage conflict, business conflict, comes because of pride or self-centeredness. These are the two reasons we have conflicts. Pride, because we're thinking about ourselves first, or we have some kind of evil desire deep in our heart. 
And here's a couple of verses for that. Uh, Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. So if we are thinking about ourselves first, if it's about ourselves, that's going to lead to conflict in life. If we put others first, the Apostle Paul says, think about others first, Philippians chapter 2, there'll be peace. But pride causes conflicts. Anytime our egos get in the way, we go selfish, there's a lot of pain. James then goes back and says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires? So the first thing to do when you think about taking this step is, um, is my pride hurt? Am I bowing up in this and wanting to be right? Well, that's pride. Or am I not getting what I think I should get out of this marriage, relationship, this transaction, whatever it might be? Both of those will cause us to quarrel with people. And we have to take the first step and initiate. As Jesus says, I love this. This is so picturesque. This is Hebrew humor at its best. It's a hyperbole. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye, right? That is, that, boy, that really helps when you're counseling someone. Nice speck you're looking at. Let's talk about your log. I don't have one. Yeah, well, you've damaged everybody just walking in the room with that log, right? I mean, this is like Jesus. It's a, it's a comedic joke. It's unbelievable. I mean, people would have laughed. Why are you so focused on this tiny little problem? Now, that's not saying it's not a problem. A speck hurts, right? It does. It can hurt your eye, irritate, right? But let's stop thinking about that. Let's look at your problem. Let's talk about your problem. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, right? Start with your own confession. Deal with your own issues as you take the first step. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So you've got to take the first step. You've got to lean towards them. You've got to own your own confession. Number four, this is the hard part. We talked about this last week. You've got to listen to their pain and perspective. Behind every broken person is, is a broken life. Behind every bad behavior, there's something that's happened to them. There's maybe their own family, their own experience growing up. Everybody has a story. And we urge you to listen to their story and just ask the question, tell me your story. You will learn a lot when people open up. And you'll realize that the way they're acting now is there's a lot of reasons for that, okay? It's not overlooking sin. That's not just, you know, turning a blind eye. It's realizing, realizing that Satan, Jesus said, steals, he kills, and he destroys in this world. And when he's done that to people, don't you think they're going to mess up and they're going to act that way towards others? They're going to be in self-defense mode? That's how it works. Listen to their pain. It's, uh, you, know, you know, we say this to kids all the time. It's like, you know, we have two ears and one mouth, right? We should listen twice as much as we speak. It's very important. The people who need love the most are those who are the ones that deserve it the least, right? Because they cause the most pain. But there's a reason for that. When we reach out and show people love that don't, in our minds, deserve it, that's just like Jesus to us. He took the first step for us. James 1.19. I love the book of James, by the way. <clears throat> it's a good, good book, good name. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, here's a cool little formula here, okay? It works in our language. Quick to listen... Two ears, right? Slow to speak, one mouth, and slow to get angry. That's our heart, because out of the overflow of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is what James is saying. If we're quick to listen and then slow to speak, uh, it's a lot easier to have relationships. 
Um, on the other hand, if we're quick to speak, anybody, right? Okay, slow to listen, we'll be quick to get angry, right? If we rush in and do prejudgments, um, it's not going to work. So James is like, best relational advice ever, all right? Just listen. Just listen. And once you feel like you've listened and you feel like you can ask the question, you know, or rephrase what I hear you saying is, you're, you're slow then to speak. I, I really believe that it, it'll really calm a lot of arguments and a lot of heat in our own heart toward other people. Um, if we apply this verse in every relationship, um, it is going to change our relationships. And th- this is the verse I was thinking ahead on, and this is Philippians 2. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This word look here, it's the word, um, it, it literally is the word scopus. And the, it's, the, it's not about the breath mint type of scope. It's about the telescope, the microscope, right? It's about the stethoscope. It's about piercing deep down in and looking intensely, focusing, examining it, enlarging it taking a concentrated time to take it apart with your eyes and see all parts of it. Don't look, don't focus, is what he's saying. Don't put all your intensity on yourself, right? That's our natural. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Again, we all know this, right? We've been to church. We know how this works. Jesus left heaven because he focused on us. He put his gaze on us. And he left heaven, that relationship, that dwelling with God, stepped into this earth, took on our humanity, our flesh, born of a virgin, born into this world as a baby, grew up, everything we see in the Gospels, everything we see in the writings of Paul and Peter and James, tell us about Jesus, that all his focus... Scopus was on us, was on the people around. And, and in fact, when he focused on us, it led him to focus on the cross because that was the only way we could be reconciled. The only way enemies of God could be made friends of God was if Christ focused on us, and he did that short term, but long term, he went to the cross and he died for us. When God focused on our needs, he gave us an example that we should do for others. A couple ones quick, we'll just kind of go through these. Number five, we know this, speak the truth tactfully, or as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, his church. So I'll often instruct um, folks, typically guys, you know, let's think about speech. Let's think about our words. Words accuse, words attack. Our words bring peace and healing. So speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. We have to do it in a way uh, that, that is loving. We have to do it in a way that is peaceful. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive, my friends. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. Truth without love is resisted. Uh, don't use foul or abusive language. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4:29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Uh, taking my boys to school over the years, uh, one of the 
you know, the, I'm going to say albums, then I was going to say CDs, and I'm like, whatever it is, recordings of uh, Toby Mac, Speak Life. A lot of conversations about this. With our mouth, we can speak life or we can speak death. With our very words, we can build up or we can tear down. And we have been commanded to speak life. I just shared that with me yesterday about a situation. I said, remember, when you engage this person, speak life. Speak life into that person. Listen and engage them with words that will build them up. Focus on them, not focus on yourself. That is how to have a meaningful relationship. To speak the truth tactfully. Proverbs 12, 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Examine your words, my friends, specifically in a difficult context. Examine your words. Your words can bring healing or they can bring more pain. Harsh words hurt, but loving words heal. Uh, Number six, we're almost done here. Fix the problem. This is one I talk about in counseling. Fix the problem, not the blame. This is hard in my own heart too, my friends. This is tough because you want to point the finger is what it is. Uh, Pointing the finger doesn't always help. Maybe it's true, but it's not helpful, right? Fix the problem, not the blame. Relational counseling, marriage counseling, career counseling. Bottom line is this, when there's a conflict, you need to figure out how to talk about the issue without attacking a person. Even attack an issue without attacking the person. To separate yourself, to not go after their throat, but to talk about issues of behavior, maybe the heart. this is really going to be bad. Um, I'm just going to tell you this and you're going to groan. But within the word blame is the word lame. All right? Seriously. Um, that's one if you're a parent. Every time you blame, it's pretty lame. Right? Because it's easy to blame, right? It's easy to cast judgment. In our hearts, we do it all the time. With our words, we do it all the time. Because we come out the winner. Or in our minds, we do. But that's not the way to peace. That's not the way to reconciliation. Anytime we blame, (laughs) one president blames the last president who blamed the prior president. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, we hear it all the time. Congress blames the White House. The White House blames Congress, right? A nation blames a nation. The right blames the left. The left blames the right. That's all we do. And if that's all we do, we're never going to get anywhere. We're polarized. We're not going to have an issue that we can truly deal with. Finally, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Again, these are things that God did for us. We'll wrap up with this thought. You can disagree without being disagreeable. You can have unity without complete uniformity. Trust me, you don't have to always walk the same path, the same direction together. You can even walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. And you can have reconciliation without full, without full resolution. In other words, maturity says that it, everything doesn't have to be an issue, right? You can be deep friends and be on different sides of the spectrum. That's maturity. That is when we can disagree and still agree to be friends and still agree to love. Uh, somebody said it this way. I wrote it down. It, we're called and commanded to bury the hatchet. But that doesn't mean we have to hand the hatchet to the person again. Last week we talked about this. You know, we can be in a peaceful relationship as far as it depends on us. But that doesn't mean that we have to allow the person to hurt us again. We might have to redraw the boundary lines for our own sake. 
And if you didn't get that, we talked a lot about that last week. Because sometimes when we have brokenness in relationships, we are either so weak or wounded, or they're so attacking and abrasive and aggressive that we have to separate just to have reconciliation. My challenge is that you'll commit to becoming um, a peacemaker the rest of your life, an agent of reconciliation. Again, I imagine this in our community. Imagine if... (laughs) I know this is really far-fetched, so I'll push it. Imagine if North Korea called Sunrise Church and said, hey, I hear you guys know how to get along. Can we talk to someone? I know that's ridiculous. That'd be awesome, right? Okay, but that'd be ridiculous. Imagine if the world came to us and said, hey, we have a problem, and you guys are weird. You guys, you're freaky, but you get something right. You get peace right. You get reconciliation right. A number of years ago, (laughs) we were at odds with our neighbors. So I'm going to say... in a very kind way on a podcast that anybody can listen to anywhere in the world, including across the street, that there are some people that don't like us because we love homeless people. There are some people that are angry at us because we love ex-prisoners. Okay? So, that was tactful, right? Okay, there you go. Um, And they'll say and do all kinds of things. And... uh, Got a call from the police department a couple years ago and said, uh, Pastor, would you be willing to sit down at the table with your neighbors? I'm like, yeah, why? Uh, they want to have some kind of arbitration and some mediation. I'm like, cool. It would have been nice if they'd called us directly and sat down and had a conversation. But if they'd rather go to the police first, I'm fine with that. We sat down at the table. Heather, you were part of that. We, it was months. It was six, seven months. But here's, here's the one thing I took away from that. And we did have peace at the end. But the mediator, the impartial mediator, when all was said and done, when there was no more conflict of interest, walked out with me to my car and said, "Uh, Pastor Gleason, I want to tell you something. What you guys have been doing in there, nobody does. Everybody in the room, other than the neighbors, we've all agreed You guys are the most peaceful people on the planet. Who couldn't get along with you? Thank you for setting an example, even if people don't receive it well. I'm like, wow. And trust me, Heather, there were some times we wanted to bite some heads off because of the things that were being said that were completely untrue. But what if the way we live, my friends, what if the way we act, what if the way we walk toward people, yes, that are even at odds with us, would create a pathway of peace? Because that's what Jesus did for us. I want to go um, to the Second Corinthians 5.17 slide and, and just want to close with this. This is the gospel, the good news. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. When you come to Jesus Christ, God makes you new from the inside out. The old life is gone and new life has begun. It's not about coming to church, but it's coming to Christ, getting to know Jesus Christ. And all of this is a gift from God. So this is what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus. It's a gift. It's a wonderful gift, an amazing gift. 
All this is a gift from God, this new relationship, who brought us back to himself. That's reconciliation through Christ. And God now has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So not only do we receive reconciliation, we were enemies of God. You were an enemy of God. You could be peaceful with God if you haven't already because of what Jesus has done. Now he gives you an assignment. And that's this, you go out and do that. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Because of what Jesus did, he made peace because of the cross. And then, then he says this, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's reconciliation. Grabbing two parties who are at war and say, come back together. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. That's why he went to the cross, to die for your sin and my sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ, so that we could be reconciled. My friends, God set the standard. He paved the way for you and for me. He, he was the perfect example of this in Jesus. And those of us who've responded to that message and received the message, we now have a path to follow. And although it won't be easy, trust me, it won't be easy. It's tough to have an enemy. He gives us a path to follow. He gives us the power through his spirit inside of us to do this. He gives us the promise that he is going to draw people to himself. We just have to open up our heart to them. And if you've never done that, that is my prayer. In fact, let's pray now. As we close our our eyes, God, I just want to pray a simple prayer, specifically for people who have not yet come to a peaceful place with you. You have said in your word that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, that God raised, that you raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be connected with you if we believe that message. Because it is by believing in our heart that we're made right with you. And it's by confessing with our mouth that we're saved. And we can call on you. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. God, we need that in our lives. Maybe today that is the takeaway. That we receive this message of reconciliation between you and us. We step toward you. For the rest of us who have believed this for years. We're walking this journey, God. Give us the peace. Give us the love. Give us the focus on other people and see their hurt and in spite of our own pain in spite of the way we might even feel attacked by them we might even think they're an enemy in spite of that we step forward toward them like you stepped toward us Jesus we pray that you would give us a vision this week to do that that the world would see a difference in us that the families around us the community the workplace the schools people would say there's something different and we would begin to model that Lord we'd begin to model a life of not just keeping peace but making peace because it's what you've done for us your power is with us in your spirit you've laid the path out Father and you've promised us that you will go ahead of us so that's what we pray for whoever we're at odds with God and we can see their face we, can, we know their name may we take the step of loving them as you took the step of loving us we pray in Christ's name Amen